0: Uh, you attach to uh, 15, 20 pounds, uh, absolutely bar of silver. These fish have to survive under the ice during the winter for, for eight months almost. So they packed on weight before they enter the river to the point where where they have a very small head and huge hump. Uh, they're, they're incredibly uh, well prepared for winter. And there's many of them and they're completely wild.
1: That was Mariusz Verbleski describing what Kamchaka Steelhead look like and feel like. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Hey, how's it going everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. In today's episode, I talk with Mariusz Fubleski with a focus on steelhead. We find out which rod is the perfect rod for all-around steelhead fishing uh, in the two-handed range and how to match a sink tip and line for this rod. Then we get into uh, a little bit on the Wild Salmon Center and talk about what he's been doing over the years to protect steelhead. Edward, Tim Rayjeff, Scott O'Donnell, Deck Hogan are all on to- on tap for topics today as we dig into Steelhead on the Op to shoots in Kamchatka. So without further ado, here's Mariush Frubuski. We're gonna we've got a ton of topics to talk about today. The the, the challenge is going to be focusing it down. I think the the wild salmon center, Echo fly rods. Kamchatka, steelhead—I mean, just those topics. Any of those four, we could dig way into. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of go around. I think this would uh, touch on it, but maybe you can just start us off. How you first got into uh, fly fishing and how that all came to be, you know, with Echo, and uh, maybe let's just start there. How you got into it and how you came to Echo.
0: Um, I came to the United States as a political immigrant, as a refugee in um, 1989. And the first place uh, I landed in San Francisco, and the first place I saw was Golden Gate Angling and Casting Club, and, which kind of became a almost a second home for me. And, of course, the Rage of Family was there. Um, Tim, Steve, and um, their father, George. Um, and since uh, George spoke Russian, so did I. Uh, we kind of became a friends, and and I almost got adopted by the Rage of family, and got involved in tournament casting, and uh, yeah, I've been a friend with um, Tim and Steve uh, ever since.
1: Wow, wow, that's that's amazing. So, 1989, back in, yep. I mean, that was. Uh, and where now? Where are you from originally? Poland. Oh, Poland. Yeah. So you're. So I mean, 1980, I mean, that was kind of the collapse of the. Uh, well, was that the time when it all kind of the, the fall of the kind of the Russia, right? That that you were all right. that. Right. That
0: was the um, end of communism. But I left uh, Poland still during the martial law before the system collapsed. So um, yeah, in the last moment, pretty
1: much. No kidding. Wow, that's right. And then you ran into the Rajah family, which which sounds like a pretty amazing story. And, and I didn't even, you know, the father, I guess George, I haven't heard um, that name too often. I mean, when you look back, and maybe we could just say, look back at the the Ray Jeff family, is there something that sticks out to you that, you know, that they taught you over the years or something maybe, Tim, you learned from him?
0: Well, well, absolutely. I, I think they had a profound impact on my personal life and, and fly fishing life as well. Um beside getting into the tournament casting and sort of going all the way to the national, uh, tournament. Um, I also ended up in, uh, uh Russia on Kola Peninsula, um, taking pl- Tim's place, uh, running the famous Pinoy River company operation, uh, Atlantic salmon, uh, fly fishing operation on Kola Peninsula.
1: Gotcha. Okay, perfect. So yeah, you've been, you've been involved for a long time. And, and now echo, I, I know, um, can you talk a little bit about when Echo started? Because it wasn't going then. I think it started a little bit later than that, that period. Right,
0: right. Tim left Panoi um, in 1994. Uh, briefly, I believe, worked for Loomis a little bit and then started Echo uh, or Rage of Sports. Yeah. Um, and we've been friends then and uh, the whole Panoi uh, period. Uh, overlap with the beginning of the spay casting sort of uh, introduction to us and development uh, we hosted on the pinoy some of the uh sort of pioneers like Derek brown and uh, simon gosworth and um leif stavmo so this this sort of this was the right place and right moment to um experiment with uh, spay casting and spay rods when i uh, came to Panoi in 94 I would say 90% of our guests were fishing single handed rods when I was leaving the Panoi in 99 I would say that 90% were uh, spay casting yep wow that's cool
1: so basically, yeah, I mean, you've been involved in the, the spay casting and at the very beginning, and we've talked a lot about the, that on the first, on this podcast, you know, some of the people that were involved and, you know, deck and some of the people that were early right. on in that whole crew. Um You know, I want to get into choosing a, a spay rod because I think things have changed, obviously, over the years. And there's p- new people coming in all the time. And I want, I want to make it real clear for them how they get started what they need and with the focus on winter steelhead uh before we get there the, the wild salmon center i really want to touch on that just just a second mm-hmm. here because i think that's a obviously a very important part of steelhead and recovery can you talk about how how you came to, into i mean you, we bring it back to 90 uh, 89 you know back as a refugee and then meeting tim how do you get involved in the, in the wild salmon center uh
0: actually through punoy through fishing on oh, yeah. on the on the, on the Kola Peninsula. Um, um, I, in 99, I uh, left Panoi to uh, go to graduate school at Berkeley in California, and um, I was working on the Yokanga River, which is another Atlantic salmon river on the Kola Peninsula, and I met um man, uh, Spencer Beebe, who uh, was... Uh, at that time, CEO of EcoTrust in Portland, Oregon. This is a sort of, oh, yeah. um, conservation, big organization. The fish and, and fish conservation was just little part of it. But I met him on a Panoe. He came to fish with, um, two of his board members and he offered me a job at EcoTrust running British Columbia program, uh, cons- con- conservation program in British Columbia. So I spent five years, uh, in the Skeena watershed. Um, also starting, um, something called Skina Wild Conservation Trust. Mm -hmm. And of course I had a chance to, uh, fish for steelhead a lot and five years, um, um, into that program, I was approached by, uh, director of, um, Wild Salmon Center with a job offer to run their Russia Russian Far East program which covers Kamchatka Sakhalin Island and Habarovsk region which is the mainland of uh, of Russian Far East Gotcha
1: Wow this is cool you you're like the you're like the ultimate you're like a rock star as far as uh, <laughs> you know like the steelhead conservation I mean everything you you know the Skeena is a hot uh, you know right. I, I've been up there I mean it's a ama- it's an amazing place and I mean the Kempchaka Skeena West Coast Steelhead, if you look at the whole Pacific Rim, can you just briefly, I've had John McMillan on, um mm-hmm. and he talked, uh, we don't talk a lot about conservation on this episode just because it's really focused more on tips and tricks. But, right. you know, it's interesting. John dug into the steelhead. Uh, we talked a lot of it wasn't based on, some of it wasn't based on data. You know, we just talked about mm-hmm. generally our thoughts of where where we are, where we're going. Can you just touch on that just briefly? You know, you're obviously right in the middle of it. What, you know, I mean, we're we're at a down, right? We're at, we're at a real low on that on that trend line, right, for steelhead this year. A lot of places, mm-hmm. but but what what's your take on it? Where, where are we headed, and and are we are there are there positive signs out there?
0: Um, yeah, there are definitely positive signs. For example, in Kamchatka, there are, t- there are two systems that I'm familiar with: Uthulok and Kfachina River on the uh, uh, north. Um, west of Kamchatka uh, where uh, population is it's a relatively small systems maybe 50 60 kilometers long um, but uh, the populations are up to 30,000 fish and the, what's most amazing about it is the diversity of life histories of these fish so they have a, a you know variety of strat life, life history strategies that allow them to um, occupy the whole system and actually thrive um, so this is the sort of place that that you can measure the rest of the steelhead uh, systems around the Pacific rim and you know Kamchatka is, is doing extremely well Skina is doing fairly well Um uh, since um, 2006, there is a very good organization, Skino Wild Conservation mm-hmm. Trust. I already mentioned working there, and since then, um, the mm, commercial fishery that that sort of mm, steelhead is a bycatch of has been really uh, curbed and 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 much smaller than it used to be. And and steelhead re- sort of rebounding back to, to better days of 30, 40,000 steelhead for the Skina system. Uh, the, the further south we go, the, uh, every, I'm sure everybody knows that, that the further south we move, um, yep. the situation is a little bit less, uh, uh, less rosy, um, with all the dams, with all the hatcheries, with all the, um, pressure on these fish and interception and commercial fisheries and also angling pressure. There's no question yeah. about it. Um, just these, these runs in lower 48. Are definitely suppressed, not in very good shape, yep. and with climate change sort of rolling over this whole uh, situation, it's it doesn't look it's gonna it's gonna get any better anytime soon. So yep. the dam removal, for example, dam removal on the Klamath River sh- will will show us um, what uh, what the fish are capable of.
1: Wow, yeah, that's that's a good point. And climate change obviously is is a hot topic, is a is a huge topic. How do you guys, you know, if we just stay on that track a little bit, you know, the we've talked a little bit about all the you know the dams and the the four H's and things like that. Climate change seems to be that one big factor that looms over it all. How how do you guys uh, think about climate change and and how that affects Steelhead and, and what we do?
0: Well, you know, it's a question of resilience. Um, uh, climate change is not a new thing in the sort of geological history of the uh, Pacific Northwest. Uh, the warming periods happened before, and we know that fish was uh, able to adapt to those. Mm-hmm. Uh, Um, But that was the wild fish and it took a long time for them to um, sort of uh, genetically uh, get adjusted to uh, warmer water, um, the shorter period they can get into the river and spawn. Um, So... um, there was plenty of time and a very few factors that affect negatively populations before right now, we are sort of facing cumulative uh, impact on these fish and the rivers with warming water, with the dams being still in place with water withdrawals from many rivers. So we have a sort of um, much more complicated situation. And I think our best chance to address that is, allowing wild fish to do their thing they have done it successfully before and they will be able to do it again if we provide the most uh, favorable conditions yeah. if we don't interfere with yeah, but, so i'm kind of ha- uh, pointing probably at the hatchery releases that are um, most um, that they have the most impact on the genetic uh, composition of these populations the more hatchery fish in the river and the more of them spawn with wild fish um the more diluted that genetic uh, composition becomes and the fish are less adapted to um their environment and rapid change changes in that environment yeah no that's
1: uh, that, and that's an awesome point And that and i kind of brings it back to john again mcmillan he mentioned um you know, he was taught, talk- we were talking about the Columbia. I guess we focused a little bit on the Columbia and that just mm-hmm. like you said, the Columbia has been hit hard by everything, you know, all the, all those H's and, and he, but he did say, you know, he, he saw a lot of positives as well. And one of them was that even though the, uh, the runs are down, you know, when you look at wild runs, they're actually doing a lot better than the returns of hatchery fish, right? I mean, the, the Columbia mm-hmm. pours out billions of, or not billions, but millions of fish. So, I think you know again, on that wild fish piece, and that's what you guys do right You're protecting some right. of the best wild
0: fish sanctuaries in the world right that's the that's the mission of the organization. We believe that the system of strongholds that will allow survival and uh thriving of the of the best uh, remaining populations will be key to um, first sort of pa- you know pave the way for the rest of the systems to to sort of uh, fare well with uh, with the coming challenges. Gotcha,
1: gotcha. And is is the Skeena is that system uh, is still? I know the runs are down a little bit there, but I mean, is that one kind of a little more um, I guess protected, right, than some of the further
0: south right. reasons? Yeah. Right, definitely. Uh, Skina is first of all, it doesn't have uh, uh, very, that doesn't have any dams for for one, then doesn't have a um, uh, some of the hatchery impact that we experience here, and it has a very strong community. I think this is the most um, uh, important part, the sort of resilience um, of the. Place, uh, is as much of a sort of natural resilience. Um, British Columbia doesn't experience the, the, the sort of, uh, radical changes in, the weather as, as, as hard as we do. Oh, okay. And also a resilience of community. There's a very, um, many people devoted to keeping their home, uh, watershed in, intact. So that's been very impressive how how the community in in Skina is very aware of what's going on, and it has a very clear idea how to deal with it. Um, yeah. which, which I think down south, we a little bit more fractured. There's yeah. a lot of us, a lot of us who appreciate, um, hatchery fish for harvest. There's a lot of us who are very, um, straightforward on, you know, wild only. And that produces the conflict that, that leads to certain sort of stagnant environment or community that it's not very focused and not very unified in the effort. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: Well, this is good. I mean, obviously there's a, this is a huge topic and um, maybe we can leave this for a later episode if we can, uh, you know, get you back on and talk a little more about the conservation. But I, I did want to dig into, you know, we've got a, uh, I've got a steelhead trip. Well, here you go. Keeping on that topic, you know, I guess it's all around conservation, but you know, the OP is a place that uh, is a very popular place. And I know the runs are down there as well. And some rivers, but we've got a trip uh, I'm doing up there with a small group of people, and. And uh, and you know, and a lot of them are new to steelhead fishing, right? And they're mm-hmm. and they're questioning they don't know what rod to take, what lines to take. Can we just maybe dig into a little bit on on rods, the the two handed rods specifically and, and kinda maybe talk about what somebody needs to get started?
0: hmm Absolutely. I, I think the 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 best place to start the conversation about uh you know, choosing the right tackle for a for, uh, the fishing you planning on doing is, is exactly the place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I wouldn't fish the same rod on the Skina and the same rod on the Sandy River next to Portland because yeah. the, the size sort of magnitude of the, of the river is, is absolutely different. But there, are, there are ways to sort of bring this down to something that is, um, that is going to a little simplified. M-
1: yeah is there, is there a you know when you think about that because I I you know I was just talking to um well, Evan, you know, you're your marketing, right. uh, uh, you know, main manager there, and, and we we're talking about lengths of rod a little bit. And that's yeah. a thing where, you know, you hear 13 foot, you know, 13 foot, six inch, 13 foot, 12 foot, right? I mean, you got all these things. And right. let, let's, to keep it focused, let's first think winter steelhead. So we're going to mm-hmm. be tossing some larger skagit, you know, bigger flies. And right. Let's also just keep it focused. Let's just say the OP, which I know there's some different size rivers there as well. But if we think about some of the, the rivers there, let's, as our rod, what, what would you choose there for a, a winter? steel what's a good all-around winter steel head two-handed
0: rod well it definitely is the seven weights uh the 13 foot length that's why we have the uh series called full spay there's only three rods in that series six seven and eight and all of them are 13 foot um and and why that because uh, we feel like you can do almost anything with the 13 foot rod um and also um you know there's no bed rod, really. There are also, there are only bed combinations of line and rod. So, uh, uh, airflow lines, um, are pretty much catered to uh, that kind of rod uh, that kind of length and uh, of the rod when you look at our um, Skagit Fist for example yeah. I would definitely recommend it Skagit Fist to take to uh, any s- winter steelhead fishing because the triple density line that is perfect length for the 13 foot rod with addition of the sink tip the T11 or T14 depending on the depth of the run you're going to fish you're pretty much gonna cover um, every possible scenario um, okay. and yeah and and with the with the cold water, um, the f- line that cuts through the uh, surface currents and goes down and slows down the swing, it, it's it's sort of key to uh, success in oh. the winter steelhead fishing.
1: Okay, and you mentioned the so on the seven weight now, so and and why not go with a, an eight weight on as far as for oh steelhead?
0: absolutely absolutely you can you can do that uh, seven weight is the sort of middle of the road that will allow you to fish in the summer oh gotcha but also effectively in the winter yeah if you're more of a summer fisherman. And let's say you fish the chutes, yep. um, then the six weight during the summer would be a better choice, probably just simply a little bit more pleasant, That's lighter rod, lighter line. Uh, if you're fishing um, predominantly winter and bigger river with uh, serious flow, then the eight weight... Uh, I would definitely recommend 8-weight. It's going to allow you to use a little heavier line. The heavier line is going to carry out heavier sink tip, and heavier sink tip will turn over uh, the biggest intruder you can put on it.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I, uh, no, I'm glad you said that because that makes sense. So if you wanted to go with one rod, the seven weight would be great. Cause it's kind of all right. around. And if you want to go just winter steel, I'd go with the eight or just summer steel, I'd go with the six weight. And, um, that's cool. I actually, and I have a link at, uh, wet slash echo, um, where I have a link over to the, uh, the gorge uh, fly shop over there where uh, they can check out some of these rods. So, um, Okay, good. Well, that that just uh, clarifies that. Then, then let, Let's just stick with, say, we're sticking with that eight weight. We're just going winter steelhead. You mentioned the fist, the triple density. Can you talk a little bit about um, triple density lines versus dual or single? And do you need, when you're going for winter steelhead, is it good to have uh, both of those types or will a triple do it all?
0: Uh, well, I think it's good to have uh, <clears throat> another Skagit, um, uh, Skagit line full floaters. Uh, with you because uh, very often you're going to be fishing run that it's two to three feet deep and the fist might be actually uh, be too much for for that kind of water. Um, But um, so, so on that, you can put a 10 or, or, or longer feet, uh, sink tip and you will be right at the fishing depth without snagging on, uh, on the bottom all the time. As, as everybody knows for Deck Hogan book, yeah. um, if you are catching the bottom, you are not fishing. You, you might be actually under the fish. And, and I think that in, in sort of tendency to go heavy and, uh, and fish really uh, heavy sink tips and 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 heavy flies. A lot of times we sort of defeat the purpose of uh, we we fishing too deep, we snagging the bottom and and not really presenting the fly the way um, we should. Yeah. Okay. That
1: makes sense. And then, so if we're talking fists for maybe more of the heavier, and we'll, we'll touch a little bit on the, the T uh, kind of the sink tips, but yeah. what would be a good, maybe if you had to pick another, that's maybe a, a single more of the, the, get into the lighter, the shallower, what, what would be a good airflow line for that?
0: Well, there's a G2 line, which is this full designed by Tom Larimer, full floating skadget line that is of the same, uh, more or less same length that fist, but it will allow you to fish a little bit f- more shallow and, and not, not be on the bottom all the time. Okay, good. So we have that. And then,
1: and so let's just break down. So basically again, for somebody new, we've talked a lot, uh, you know, the, la- the first 30 episodes, people can look at some of those steelhead episodes on, on this podcast, but if we break down, you know, you have the line, with the sink tips how does that you know you you hear a lot about the poly leaders versus other what are what's a good for winter steelhead i mean would you use poly leaders or you do you just go with a different type of sink tips for, for that no
0: definitely i wouldn't use poly leaders for winter fishing because they will not effectively take the fly down into the zone where you want to be most of the time so i would definitely go with the t11 or t14 some people even go to t17 on the very deep slow or or Strong current uh, places. Um, Usually T14 and T11 covers most of the uh, places. Mm Um there you can use different lengths everywhere from you know five feet of t eleven or fourteen to to ten and twelve and fifteen in in some cases what what's um important, I think is to make sure that your rig, your line weighs. Uh, is capable of moving that sink tip if you have a 400 grain head and you put a 15 feet of t14 or t17 uh, your casting is going to be disaster because the mass of the um, head of the floating part of the yeah, uh, your rig is not going to be able to turn over. Yeah. You add a weighted fly on the end of it and it <laughs> becomes impo- impossible. Is that
1: but, the two, isn't there a rule of thumb? Do you have one? It's kind of the, you know, the,
0: the 50% or if, you know, depending yeah. on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I would say that your floating, uh, that your belly, your Skagit's head should be at least twice as heavy as your sink tip. So to give you an example, if you have a 300 uh, grain, um, Scout, that's another air, uh, airflow line that it's really great. And we can talk about the shorter stuff a little bit later. Um, if you have a 300 uh, grains head and put 200 uh, grain sink tip on it, it simply is, there's not enough mass in your head. Uh, uh to move the sink tip so it should be no i would say no heavier than than half of it than 50% so 150 grains would be absolute max that you can move with that line but i would probably on 300 grains head i would probably use sink tip that is no longer the, the well length is the, is is the variable but yeah. no heavier heavier than 100 grains
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred is Good. That, and that gives it. And then, and let's take it back to that fist just because that's the line. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. It's on top of my mind. So if, and I, I can't remember exactly, but if you had what, like say a 400 grain or 450 grain fist line for an eight weight, something like that, that's in the ballpark.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you would you would be able to use easily 150 grain synced it. So either 10, 11 feet of T14, or even longer T11 tip.
1: Okay. And can you again? Uh, you know, this is we're going back on some stuff we've talked about. But the T series is another little bit of confusion. How? So you you clarified it there pretty pretty well when you said T11 and T14, and a lot of guests have said that is the length, they're the size they use. But mm-hmm. and what is that? Can you talk about the grains, the equivalents? Uh, just talk a little bit about grains and the T series how, how that all works
0: right that's it's pretty simple so it, it, the, the number behind the t indicates the weight per foot of that particular material so the t11 foot of t11 material weights 11 grains so if you have a 10 foot sink tip your sink tip is going to be 110 grains gotcha Awesome. If you have a T14, the foot of that material will be uh, 14 grains per per foot, perfect. <laughs> and so, 10 feet of T14 will be 140 yep. grains, and that's pretty much winter standard win- winter um, sink tip, I would say for for majority of runs from six to uh, to three feet in depth and, and sort of, uh, walking speed, uh, current. Gotcha.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a good, a great clarification. So, so if you're just getting started out there, you're heading to one of these rivers steelhead or one of the uh, rivers for steelhead here, say you start off with that T11. And, it, and as far as the length, you know, you do hear sometimes people going shorter, you know, seven foot, 10 foot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, is there a length that it seems like standardizing it where you just say, you know what, I'm going to have, yeah. T11, 1470, they're all going to be the same length. Is that better to do, or should you mix it up and have shorter lengths?
0: Well, this is this is more complicated than just the sort of length and, and organizing yourself. Um, yeah. Why? Because on one hand, the sink tip is supposed to get down and put your fly at the depth that it's sort of the best to present it to 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 a fish holding in, in the run. But on the other hand, Mm, your l- length of your line including the sink tip should be um should be correlated to length of your rod so you wouldn't take a 13 foot rod put a 15 foot head on it and 10 foot sink it, because at this point y- your entire rig is so short that most of the time you will blow your anchor oh right it, the short yeah. line also turns over faster than the longer line. So your cast will turn over prematurely and just basically crash on the surface. Mm-hmm. So, um, you want to make sure that your rod mm-hmm. length, your rod, uh, your, your line uh, length and sink tip length produce the sort of uniform system that works together. Um, what I, what I already mentioned that you wouldn't put probably the scout Skagit scout line on the 13 foot rod because it's extremely short head that packs the weight into the very short length. Yeah. And, and it's used to, to move, um, a fair amount of weight with the fairly short rod. So yeah. the compact weight acts a little bit like a, um, like like it's something that you can actually throw further out. So to to make this sort of simple for for that thirteen foot seven or eight weight, I would recommend the Skagit fist or standard G two Skagit plus plus ten to twelve, in extreme cases fifteen feet of either T eleven or T fourteen. Yep. And for the scout and this appropriate sink tip, I would use on the shorter rod, like our compact spay that is only twelve feet long, um, and it's perfectly matching that shorter belly, like the Skagit scout.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that's awesome. And the and the rule again that you've just clarified it in way more detail, but that's this is kind of the. Uh, the th- rule, what is it? The three X, where if you have a thirteen foot rod, you multiply it by three, and then you don't want your entire line setup to be longer
0: than that. Yeah, that's a ballpark, I would say. Yeah. You know, it, a lot of it depends on the caster also. Oh, okay, a good, good caster will will probably uh, be able to make it work uh, out rig that it's a little bit off the, those specs. But for somebody who is beginning, that guideline, the sort of three times the length of the rod, is fairly good beginning. A good beginning. Okay. And then,
1: and also, is there a resource like, again, we're we're talking about uh, focusing on the fist and, but if somebody, you know, say they had a a different rod or a different line, you know, where Mm -hmm. would they go if they want to say they, they didn't know what line to get for that rod? Is there a good place to what I don't know, I mean, I know Rio has some stuff out there, but you right. know, recommendations there.
0: Well, uh, Echo, um, has its own, um, tar- chart recommending oh, cool. mainly Echo lines or airflow lines to Echo Rods, so and that those are very well, um. Uh, very well matching uh the rods to the line so i would definitely recommend perfect. to go on the echo um, website and or airflow website or of yep. Sport website better and look into the resources and there's going to be a chart that they can use
1: okay okay perfect um so and let's just to, to wrap this up here again thinking about the fist we're, we're thinking winter steelhead we got an mm-hmm. eight, eight uh, weight we're a 13 foot we're heading out so that fist line can you talk about that with that rule of three so what is typically the what is the length of the line and again to go back you're going to have you're going to have um your regular backing you're still going to have backing on your reel you're going to have um, your running line and then you're going to actually have the fist what what is the length of that fist line and then how would that uh, you know relate as far as the t11 and making it close to that rule of three
0: sure so um uh, if we would take an 8-weight uh, full spay, we would probably go – it depends on the caster. Um, what, the what, beginner,
1: what if you're mm-hmm. a beginner? So I'm just talking about me again. This is uh, I've been doing it a, a little you – know, quite a while, but I'm still not a you know a pro. I'm not a great caster. So I'm kind of – I still consider myself kind of more, you know, at the beginner, intermediate. What if mm-hmm. you had
0: somebody like that? Well, uh, then I would match the full spay 8-weight with um, Skagit Fist uh, 570 grains that's the sort of 8-9 designation um, the better you are at casting because that's just simply going to load rod very easily yeah. and, and make you cast right away comfortably and I would put um, 10 or 12 feet of T11 yep. or T14 on, on that rig and that would give us, these lines are at 22 and a half, 23 and a half feet length. Okay. So that would give us um, almost 40 feet of uh, entire line, including sink tip divided by three, would, would end very close to 13 foot. Yeah.
1: That's it. That's it. Okay. So that would give us our full setup. Okay. That makes sense. And that's, and again, that's the reason why you wouldn't go with a, necessarily a really short five foot tip or a really long tip because right. it would throw off that balance.
0: I mean, you know, with fist having, um, front of the line already type six, um, sinking, uh, material, you could shorten your sink tip, uh, in the, in a shallower run, instead of switching to the full floating belly and then putting a 10 foot sink tip on it, you could still use fist with a short, let's say five foot, oh, uh, yeah t-tip that would change a little bit of the um balance by shortening the entire line so you would have to be careful with your anchor to to not to blow your anchor all the time but it would be actually possible to fish effectively with without changing the whole line okay
1: okay that meant so you could still use the short tips
0: absolutely you would you would short since in front of your uh, fist is already sinking you can extend it uh uh, by five feet and 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 you know cover that more shallow water where you don't have to dig deep okay perfect and you you just
1: touched on you said uh type six which kind of gets us back into the old another sinking uh line standard right this is kind of more Mm -hmm. back to the uh uh, well maybe let's just talk about let's let's first think about the triple density can you describe what what the in the fist is a triple density line what is that what is the triple density
0: well, the triple density means that uh, the line is composed of three sections of different material, different density material. So the back of the line, close to your running line, is the floating section, roughly one-third of the line. The m- middle of the line is interme- made out of intermediate sinking material, one, one-and-a-half inches per second. And then the front por- portion, one third, is, the, uh, is, the, uh, is made out of um, sinking uh, material. And type six probably uh, runs around four to six inches per second, which is not super fast. But what it does, it allows you to cut immediately after the cast is placed and you mend your floating... Back of the uh, head, floating uh, portion of the head, the intermediate and sink sinking portion cuts through the surface currents, which usually are very complex and start yeah. sort of waving your line around, preventing you from making good swing. And they cut through that those surface current and get deeper where the current is slower already, and your entire swing begins to be slower. You you fishing much. Uh, at much slower, uh, rate than, than your full floating head that sticks to the surface currents and sort of drags your sink tip and, and fly behind it. Um, there is, a, there is a purpose to that floating portion. It's not only for you to see where your line, uh, is in the, in the water, uh, on the water surface, but also to fish completely to the, uh, full downstream position of your fly. And steelhead oh, yeah. fishing This is super important that you don't pull your line uh, pull out uh, too pull. early and make another cast because fish very often it's either hanging out on the side of the current closer to the bank yep. or they follow the fly from the position in the current into the bank and very often take at the, at the point where the fly is straight below you. You, you can either hold there for a few seconds, uh, extra few seconds to to make sure that you get that fish that did follow your flying. I see. Yeah. So, so by adding um, much faster sinking material to the front of the fist, which is already sinking at that rate of four to six inches per second, you you increasing your ability to fish deeper even with unweighted fly that line will keep it on a providing that you're using very uh, short um tippet that line will allow you to keep that fly uh deeper longer and also um by using fly that is not heavily weighted uh, you you have a lot more movement in that fly so it's more attractive to to fish
1: okay and then and yeah and then on the end of that well of the fist line you have you're mentioning that's the type six you'd also add your typical sink tip to your t-series and then so would you ever on that just add a um i mean are you always adding a sink tip on the end of that fist or is there other lines you might add like maybe an
0: intermediate section um i think it always ends up with the sink tip especially for winter fishing yeah um for you know and scagget head i mean it can be used definitely for summer steelhead but it's not as pleasant to fish as as the floating shooting heads are like the scandy shooting heads so in the winter i would say i always I'm going to fish uh sink tip in the summer also on the the shoots in the middle of the day when when it's sunny and hot and fish are down um your best chance to get the fish uh, during that period, is putting on your Skagit head and sink tip and getting your fly down closer to the bottom where fish are sort of yeah. uh, hanging out there.
1: What if you were on the Deschutes in the summertime and it was blowing fifty miles an hour? You know, like <laughs> like it does. And and your scandy line, you're not that great with the scandy, and it's just it, it's killing you. But your heavier Skagit line, you want? Could you stick on uh, just that with a, a floating? You know I mean? Would that work if you're doing an evening-morning sort of thing where you
0: are on the surface? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, first thing I would do, I would try the Rage Compact line, which is designed by Tom Larimer specifically – um, uh, for such conditions, yeah. and, and Tom's been guiding for ages on the chutes and that line has a very powerful. It's it's sort of a cross line between the Scandi and Skagit, so it has a very powerful turnover. You can put a, a poly leader or floating uh, or a mono leader, and and you can still fish in the wind. That it's uh, that it's pretty strong, but uh, definitely um, Skagit head's going to be way more effective and cutting through the wind i mean the yep. dynamics of the water loaded or, or sustained anchor cast are such that uh, you have a lot more line speed and a lot more power in that cast so absolutely i see on the shoots people fishing uh skagit lines throughout the summer and i'm sure they're catching a lot of fish
1: okay perfect yeah and i had uh, tom larimer was on way back in episode 11 Mm-hmm. And uh, and he talked about uh, I think we did actually he told a funny story about the rage uh, you know the guy fishing the rage out on the uh, on a rock in his speedos out in the Deschutes, so it was pretty funny <laughs> but uh, but yes yeah, okay so this is good I think I think we've done a pretty good job here obviously there's going to be some people that there's still some questions you know talking about the uh, type six and ty- different types and that whole thing but you know I, I think just as far as time I think uh, maybe we can just touch I, I wanted to get into the Kamchatka because that's sure. a place that I mean I would love to get to someday. I know everybody that talks that loves steelhead would love to get there and and most of us won't ever get there, but can you describe, you know, take us to Kamchatka and you know just just like take us to a river maybe a, one you, you're most familiar with and, and what the, what that's like and how that's different from say you're just on, you know, out here in one of our winter steelhead rivers.
0: Well, the 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 rivers I, I uh, fished on Kamchatka steelhead rivers were to Utkulak and Kvatchina rivers, which are operated by um, conservation angler, there's a little NGO that that's been working in Kamchatka with Wild Salmon Center for for many many years. We provided some of the scientific research uh, w- w- with them. Um, and these rivers are not uh, your typical uh, Pacific Northwest rivers. They are more of a. They're similar to Alaska rivers. Very low gradient, um, not very fast uh you fish in a tidal zone um very often you can see fish actually coming from the salt into the estuary and then moving uh further up the river uh, so uh, it, it's not your typical uh, pacific northwest steelheading, but it's absolutely fascinating um uh to to fish river that that it's the bottom is covered with pebble small pebble From bank to bank has a little uh, deeper area under cut bank cover with high grass. And you almost uh, want to cast to the other bank and pull the fly off the grass into that channel. And and then all of a sudden, uh, you attach to uh, 15, 20 pounds uh, absolutely bar of silver. (laughs) These fish have to survive under the ice. During the winter, for for eight months almost, so they packed on weight before they enter the river to the point where where they have a very small head and huge hump. Wow. Uh, they're they're incredibly uh, well prepared for winter, and there's many of them, and they're completely wild. Um, so it's a it's a it's a once in a lifetime experience. It, what's what's great about this um, this river and all. Kamchatka steelhead uh, rivers is that that steelhead are listed in the Russian Red Book of threatened and endangered species, so uh, fishing for them uh, is not permitted except for the scientific research. So the right. conser- conservation angler is doing um, third almost thirty years by now of uh, research on these fish. They get a permit from um, Moscow Academy of Sciences and uh, anglers are basically catching fish and scientists are taking samples from these fish. So it's a very unique um, opportunity to to fish for steelheads that never been really touched by any um, uh, um, anthropogenic uh, factors. Uh, no, No dams, no agriculture, no hatcheries, no commercial fishery also. So I would definitely recommend the fly shop in Reading is, is um, providing all the logistics for those trips. And I would highly recommend that these guys are doing a great job and, and that uh, opportunity right. is there. Another uh, river, which is not exactly a steelhead river, but the fish are on par with steelhead as far as size and and uh, and condition, is the Zhupanova River. That's one of the best... Rainbow trout fish, and how do you
1: spell? Uh, can we go back to the the Yule, the yeah. Ulock? How do you spell that? And how, you, how, yeah, how <laughs> do yeah? How do you
0: spell that one? U T K H O L K.
1: Okay, we got that one. Then how do you spell this one? You just mentioned here, the next one.
0: Z H U T A M O V A. VA. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that's amazing. <laughs> that, that is a,
1: that's a, a mouthful. Okay. So yeah, now we've got the, and how do you pronounce that again? Jupanova. Zupanova. Okay. And, and now talk about in, on that one. How is that one? Is that a little bit different than the, than the other one?
0: Yeah, the system is a lot more spectacular as far as the scenery is concerned. Uh, the flows uh, through the landscape that it's studded with big active volcanoes, and mm-hmm. you um, you have a choice of uh, flow. Where you take uh, rafts down the river uh, from the upper section all the way down to the Zenzer Lodge, which is somewhere in the middle of the river, or you can stay at the Zenzer Lodge and then you take a jet boat around every day and fish um, fish there. There are also, you know, beside the massive and, and numerous uh, rainbow trout, uh, there are also something called kunja, which is um, white spotted char. Some of them are resident, some of them are anadromous. There's, of course, uh, mm, almost all Pacific salmon present in this river, Coho, and and other species, but they are not the main attraction. The rainbow trout, uh, up to 34 inches, uh, are the main attraction, and you can fish single-handed, double-handed rod. You can fish dry fly. You can fish streamers. Um, so huh. it's incredible are, incredible resource
1: are there not and are there steelhead in that system as well no they are not okay so that, that is get, okay that gets back yeah we had that conversation again back with John McMill and we were talking about how the the steelhead uh, distribution ends up in Alaska you know eventually and we talked about why that is and I guess there's probably in this other river with the rainbows there's more salmon is that? Is that the right. case? Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. The the salmon is the component that makes um, the rainbow trout so fat and so big and grow at such a, a fast rate. That's it. That's
1: it. Okay, And um, this is kind of off on a tangent a little bit, but you mentioned the (laughs) Moscow, uh, Moscow sciences. It's interesting because right now, you know, know, politics, obviously, uh, we're we're not going to jump into that. But, you know, right now there's this crazy stuff with the politics going on where Russia is, you know, talking about Mm -hmm. influencing our elections and and, and, uh, eco or uh, terrorism on online and stuff. I mean, it seems like you've got all that going. How does the the science is that just separate or do you guys are you affected by the whole Russia whatever's going on with Putin and his thing?
0: Um, yes and no. So science has been always um, um, a little bit exempt from the po- politics. Um, while Simon Center was working with. Um, uh, in Russia based on bilateral agreement between um, US and Russia, which is called uh, Area 5 Agreement. And that's Agreement on s- uh, Scientific Research and Conservation of Endangered and Threatened Species. Um, there is a section in that agreement that is on Salmonide. So we, uh, we work under sort of government agreement umbrella. Um, if you're asking me if the work in Russia has been getting more difficult, yeah. absolutely. There's no question yeah, about it. Um, yes, it is. I mean, it, it is more difficulties in uh, getting permits for for certain research. Um, some of the a- American NGOs uh, have have harassed uh, by by authorities uh, yeah. in Russia, but um, we've been always sort of working on a on a st- strict scientific base so we're avoiding a lot of these conflicts and a lot of these these activities by just simply uh being focused on fish yeah instead of politics politics having.
1: that makes sense and that i guess that's the thing it's like you know uh putin and the whole crew they're not that, that focused on steelhead so it's probably not that you know obviously not critical for them
0: no, they're, they're not, even though uh, some of the uh, Putin's uh, administration, and including Putin, <laughs> have been known to fish. Oh, no uh, kidding. Sport, sport fish, yeah. Um, he's been shown with the large pike. We're, we're, without a t-shirt, right? With the... <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, uh Prime Minister, who just uh, finished his career uh, yesterday, I believe, uh been fishing Kola Peninsula, has been to the Panoya River um, oh, wow. multiple times. So there's a lot of Russians. Uh, uh, fishing in Russia is incredibly popular. Oh, it is. On one hand, that's a good thing because we're um, working with more and more people who realize that um, you know, without conservation, without taking care of these um, ecosystems and fish, um, they will be gone. Um, uh, on the other, th- that's the good part. The bad part is that that um, uh, fishing is 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 probably the one of the most popular pastimes in Russia and is definitely uh, connected to consumption of um, of your catch. Um, and that presents a significant challenge for introduction of catch and release regulations and um, and other conservation measures. Yeah.
1: So, so you don't ever think uh, you're sitting there talking about you know on the news or whatever that uh, you know Putin's going to track you down and uh, you know, <laughs> take take you out for saying the wrong thing. That's not something that's ever on your mind.
0: No, no, not at all. No, yeah. no. Good. Uh, I mean, I, I had few encounters with authorities, but they were usually um, uh, they ended up on the on the positive notes, uh, uh, and and we've been able to so far so good. We've been able to continue our program.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, and I see, and I think you know, obviously the U.S. we have our own share of problems, and um, you know, the thing I do think about, I think Russia, I think their economy is based right, the oil and gas is a, is a huge. Right. I mean, basically, I think their whole economy is based on that. So you, you have that struggle here where we're. You know, uh, obviously talking about trying to I don't know maybe get away from that eventually to, to, to more cleaner right uh, uh, methods, but um, yeah, no, I think again that we, we've uh, you know we've got topics here we're digging into that are their entire you know hours and hours. Um, so uh, I want to stick with the fishing. Here we're talking sure. about the rivers, and these are you know these are like you mentioned they, they're more like Alaska than they are say the the kind of the west the other west coast rivers we have what else should we know about? So I think the fly shop, you said if, if somebody wants to go, there, yes. the best chance is to talk to the fly Absolutely. shop.
0: That's the best. Yeah. They, they've they been, they've been working in Russia for many, many years. They, I have been on uh, both, uh, Utkulok and Zhupanova trip organized by fly, uh, the fly shop. And, uh, they do a fantastic job. All the logistics, which are complicated in Russia, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. uh, uh, are done, incredibly professionally and and uh experience is one of the best i ever had and i've been around a little bit between the Kola peninsula and, and russian far east and british columbia so i would highly recommend um yeah, Shupanova is a lot more spectacular than um, because it's a southern uh, part of the Kamchatka, not very far from uh, PK, which is Petropavlovsk, Kamchatsky, which is the sort of capital of the Kamchatka Peninsula. Mm-hmm. So you fly there from um, US, there's direct flight from Alaska during the summer from Anchorage. Which takes only four and a half hours, okay. and uh, you end up straight in PK. Then, after a short break, you transfer to helicopter, and within a forty-five minutes, you're going to be on the river, which is uh, probably the fastest uh, I ever travel to a destination in Russia.
1: Yeah, yeah. Is it so? It's getting a little bit easier as as you've gone over the years to to get to Russia and
0: do that whole trip yeah uh especially to to kamchatka um flyshop has done a uh, very good job on on trying to establish direct flight during the season between anchorage um and petropavlovsk and uh, they will have it next year as well it's uh, operated by Air Yakutia, which is a sort of sub-leasing company, but uh, it flies uh, American equipment, and um, it, it's incredibly comfortable, fast, and, and efficient. Okay,
1: perfect. Well, let, let's – in, in the spade casting thing is another struggle. You know, we talked about the rod and gear, mm-hmm. um, and maybe we just briefly talk a little bit about um, – you know, with spaycast, I had, uh, I'm just thinking in our Facebook group, uh, Kurt Taylor had a question on, mm-hmm. you know, I, we're, we're not going to be able to cover all the the how-to and tips and things mm-hmm. like that, but is there is there a resource, if somebody wanted to learn spay casting, they didn't have money to pay a guide, is, is there a good uh, resource out there where somebody can kind of learn? What would you recommend on that?
0: Uh, you know, there's been a lot of um, videos made on on spay casting, but um I would definitely uh, look at uh, Deck Hogan uh, yep. Modern Spay Casting. Mm-hmm. That that would be an instructional video that it's really great, and I don't believe that there's been anything better written on steelhead fishing than Deck's uh, book. Um, yep. uh, sort of uh, sp- steelhead fishing, due to the fact that there's so few fish around. Uh, can be really sort of frustrating. And uh, Dec has the incredible sort of no-nonsense approach to um, walking uh, new, uh, newcomer through the through the hoops of, of uh, steelhead fishing. And uh, that that's, uh, as far as I know, uh, the least romantic but most practical, uh, writing on steelhead fishing that I ever came across. So these two things wouldn't cost uh, much more than 50 bucks and would allow somebody yeah. to start, um, start, uh, well. Another resource used to be the spay pages. Oh, used yeah. To be, uh, uh, right now it's a little bit less active from my point of view, or yeah. I, Became a less involved. Sure, uh, but during uh, the the sort of Skagit, uh method development period, um, Ed Ward was involved very heavily, and I remember his sort of instruction um, or farewell posts to to the steelheaders uh, that that listed sort of few basic points: one rod, one line, one sink tip, three flies. Yep, um, and. I think that was the most important thing. Uh, the only way to learn something about steelhead fishing is actually doing it instead of uh, watching it or reading about it. Um, and that was his advice. Get out uh, as often as you can, even if it's for a few hours on one, two uh, runs that are close in and fish them as often as you can. And eventually you will come across the fish. Um because the only way to l- really learn is to 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 have these encounters with steelhead yeah. the st- they will teach you what to do what not to do and and because there 's few fish around um the more often you go out there and and do it uh the more ch- the faster you 're going to learn that was the Incredible experience on the Pinoy River, which is famous for for the num- great numbers of uh, salmon. That the learning curve was incredibly steep, since you had multiple, many encounters daily with with salmon, and and you you were able to learn very quickly. With steelhead, we are not that fortunate unless you go to Utukulakarskina, oh, yeah. uh, where where you might uh, increase your chances of um, encounters with steelhead. Something. So that would be my advice.
1: Those are great. Those are great tips. I'll put links to uh, the uh, the videos and the books and things you uh, you talked about there in the show notes um, of this episode, and that's good. Uh, well, let's just jump into it as we start to kind of wrap this thing up. The the two twenty two is is a way I always kind of check in with everybody on the you know it's the kind of the top two tips, top two flies, mm-hmm. and top two resources, and you know obviously we're focusing on steelhead here. And you mentioned some tips. Maybe we could just start with flies. Do You have, you know, if you had to pick a, a couple of flies you were going to use for steelhead, what, what do you? What's in your box?
0: Wow, that's a good question. Um, John Hazel said a long time ago that if they wanted, they'll take your car keys. That's so right. I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be attached to a particular pattern, even yeah. though you know, fishing to in the summer. Uh, you, you would, you would go for, for, uh, for example, steelhead coachman would be yeah. my favorite fly on the shoes during the summer in size everywhere from eight all the way up to four. Okay. It's a sort of um, on the opposite spectrum from a uh, freight train or a purple peril that is a little bit more natural. Uh, right, exactly. It's a little bit subdued, and and I feel that very often that's what's um, – uh, fish, Deschutes fish, uh, uh in the summer, like, even though, um, uh, in early in the Deschutes season, you put on a, a nice intruder and sink tip, and you're probably going to do even better. And in the late season as well, very late season, let's say yeah. December. Um, on the, for the winter steelhead there, you know, the selection right now on the, on the market, I mean, I used to tie a lot of flies and, and, uh, been fascinated. It with um, with uh, design of the, of the steelhead flies went through the, the intruder period uh, very hard, um, but then um, I I ended up fishing sylvanator most of the time, oh, yeah. so that would be my winter favorite pattern, mm-hmm. which is basically uh, orange or blue or pink bead on the tube with the rabbit strip behind it. Again, black. Pink or purple, um, and and that is uh, that would be my favorite winter steelhead fly.
1: Okay, perfect. No, I'll, I'll put links to that in the show notes, and I actually have. I think I did a YouTube tutorial, a little video on the uh, the the steelhead coachman is out mm-hmm. there somewhere. So yeah, those are all those are all good. And then if you think about tips, you you mentioned a few tips um, already, but you know if you think about, I mean. I guess we have we're talking steelhead here, but we could also talk casting. Would you have mm-hmm. a couple of good tips you might give somebody that's either struggling with either steelhead fishing or, or with spate, you know, casting the two-handed rod?
0: Yeah, sure, absolutely. The first one and and the most important from my point of view is putting together your entire rig properly. That means having the rod a length adjusted to length of your um head. So if your rod is above 12 feet or let's say around 13, 13 and a half, uh, very few people use 14 footers anymore yeah. for steelhead fishing, which is also sort of symptomatic um, how the lines and rods evolve together uh, uh, during the development of the Skagit uh, style of casting. So make sure that your Skagit head is, um, is heavy enough for your rod and long enough for your rod. Then you can play with just few sink tips in um, two densities. I would say T eleven, T fourteen, ten feet, twelve feet range would be um, would be the the sort of most useful length, and make sure that this whole rig is well balanced, which means the weight and length uh, correlates between rod, scadet head, and the sink tip. Yep, perfect. So that would be. Okay. um that would be the most important thing and then of course uh, getting out there and and practicing there's no way around practicing uh, i don't care how you know i don't care how good teacher you're going to hire for one hour um or how many books you're going to read or how many uh, tapes you're going to watch people casting even though for me the visual part actually helped a lot at the beginning um if you're not experimenting uh, by yourself, even if the river is blown out, I go sometimes out there just to cast and make sure that I stay, I stay uh, tuned with uh, with my um, scadet casting. Yeah. And sort of another thing that it's important, you know, when when the Skagit, when the two-handed fishing came and casting came to U.S., there was a there was a huge sort of frustration with styles. There was the traditional sty, style, um, Scandi, and then and then we some people started developing this sort of Catered to steelhead fishing, skagit casting. The mixing of those styles, for example, using um, using long belly line on the short rod, will 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 just end up with frustration. Yeah. So, so staying within the. Um, within a certain style is, is very important. Let's say, I think we all, most of us, there are people who fish floating line and, and, you know, lightly weighted spay fly on uh, during the winter, but most of us fish definitely scattered heads and sink tips during the winter. So, um, important is to sort of, uh, understand that this type of Rig requires certain style of casting. So when I see people, of course, um, Scott O'Donnell uh, mm-hmm. can, can um, single spay cast Skagit Head with the Intruder because mm-hmm. he's so good he can cast actually anything, just like Steve Rajaf. Yeah. But most of us, um, regular mortals, <laughs> have to, have to uh, follow certain rules to be able even to get out stuff yeah. out there. And so I, I would definitely, if you decided to fish Skagit, um, you should stick with the uh, water loaded casts or sustain anchor cast, uh, which is the whole separate um uh sort of subject. Um and uh I think Edward is by far the most um uh, the, the, the best resource to follow on casting, Skagit casting. Yeah. Uh, he's done a lot of films, uh, about it. And, and, and so sticking to the principles of Skagit casting will, uh, will also help to shorten your sort of learning process.
1: Yeah. And, and, and you mentioned, uh, you know, three guys, Scott O'Donnell, uh, Tim Ray Jeff, um, and Ed Ward, three names that come up a lot in the Steelhead mm-hmm. game, you know, as guys that were leading the way early on. Um, you know, what what do you think? I mean, when you look at those guys, I'm not sure how well you know. Obviously, you know Tim very well. But mm-hmm. do you see something? What makes those guys, you know, the immortal? Why do they stand out from the, the rest of the, the group?
0: Well, you know, they, they've been on the forefront of, uh, develop, the most important sort of developments of last 20 years in, in, um, two-handed fishing and, uh, rod designing, line yeah. designing, and also fishing. I mean, all these guys have, um, one thing in common. They, they, they've been for many, many years, uh, fishing, casting, guiding, um just just being very passionate about the uh, sport yeah and that sort of um some of them are incredibly creative like Ed Ward I mean uh, who would uh come up with the 15 foot Skagit head um you know 20 years ago nobody would even yeah. think about it and Ed has been pioneering that stuff from the very beginning yeah. um same with Tim I mean Tim's been involved in tournament casting um f- you know since he had been i don't know 7 years old mm-hmm. and probably uh, probably at that same age participate in the first national tournament and then straight into um, international competitions and and then he worked with Gary Loomis and his brother for many years designing rods at at Loomis yeah. so so the amount of experience the amount of um uh expertise these guys have is just simply impossible for for recreational fishermen to match and that's why why uh, it, for us is incredible resource that can help us uh shortcut uh, this whole process and Scott O'Donnell guiding forever uh, for Steelhead and that that experience accumulates and 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 provides person with skills um, you know unmatchable skills by by other people. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it is. It's just a. Yeah, and I guess for anybody out there who's new to it, I mean, they could realize that they could probably maybe at some point have the same contribution down the line. Um, right, you know anybody can. Again, the passion—it's kind of that—that that word, yeah. you know, the passion for steelhead. But it, you know, it's true. That's why I think it resonates so well because obviously, you know, if you're going to sit out in a run for hours and hours, sometimes without a fish even touching it, that that takes something to
0: do that, right? Right, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you, steelhead fishing is that way. Um, that you know, the bottom line is you have to come across um, a player. Yep. Uh, deck will call it um and if you don't you you left with um with just fishing as well as you can uh, the best water you uh, you have available and eventually you you will come across the steelhead and and, uh, and it's an incredible experience
1: yeah yeah that's good. What what is something that you think over the years, you know, you're most proud of when you think about what you've done? You sounds like you've done yourself a ton. I mean, could you pick uh, a thing out there that you're really proud of?
0: Um, you know, the conservation is the most important part of um, my uh, history. I think uh, the longer you fish, the more passionate you are about it. the The more you realize that we all, the industry anglers. Uh, outfitters, businesses rely on this free uh, resource out there, which um, which we slowly uh, starting to lose, which is just being diminished by by our own activities. Yeah. And I think the realization that um, that my responsibility is to do something for that resource, to do something about these fish, to help them somehow um that made me work for uh make that my job my eight hours a day or more job is something that i uh, i can be proud of um yeah there's been different things like the winning the Spayorama in san francisco in 2006 which was the first sort of spay casting uh competition in the u.s (laughs) and and probably the one of the first in the world and bringing all these phenomenal casters from around the world, like the uh, S- um, Sirstad brothers from Norway, um, uh, guys from Scotland, and and all over the place, and and sort of helping all of us to learn from them—that's something to be proud of. But but I think the conservation and realization that we owe back to that resource—that's that's, that's uh, maybe not an achievement, but I'm proud that 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 it um it sort of i ended up uh, realizing that <laughs> that, that i have to give back
1: yeah yeah that's it yeah. without without the uh yeah the stuff the groups that you're working for i mean yeah we, we'd probably be in a much worse off place as far as steelhead runs um and steelhead in the spare round I mean, what did that feel like when in the back in 2006 that that's that you're at the pinnacle right you, you win that thing and you're one of the best casters in the world How how did that feel
0: Ah, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of work went into it. Um, it, it, it felt good, uh-huh. definitely uh, the mission accomplished kind of feeling. But um, at that point, I also realized that uh, you know the the truly thing that I am after is fishing. And then yeah. um, <laughs> after that realization that the truly the thing I'm after is being on the river and and doing something good for for the environment. That's yeah. probably uh, sort of chain of events growing up as a fisherman and caster and conservationist. Yeah.
1: And we're gonna wrap this thing up pretty quick here. I was just gonna mm-hmm. kind of on that line a little bit. And and I'm gonna the 222 we we already kinda of wrapped up because you talked about a bunch of resources, uh, so I'm not gonna dig more into that. But you know, one of the struggles I think out there is that on the conservation piece, I think people tune out a lot, even though people know it's important. How do you guys mm-hmm. at the Wild Salmon Center uh get, avoid, you know, help people to not tune out, right? Because they hear that these negative things and they just would rather not listen to it. Is there anything you guys focus on or is that something, are you more just focus on protecting the resource and let other groups find out a way to
0: connect with people? No, we realized that, you know, <clears throat> Without support of um, not only donors but public in general and anglers as well, we are uh, we we not gonna succeed. There's no there's no way. So yeah. our our approach is um, to engage. Obviously, we are a small NGO in Portland, Oregon, and we work across Pacific Rim. So we rely on partners. We have a partners in California. Uh, Oregon, Washington, British Columbia, Alaska, and across the ocean in Russia, in Mongolia, and we used to work even in Japan on uh, saline time and conservation, so um, Having those relationships as as many of them and as strong as real and as productive as we can is um, is the most important. We help, uh, for example, develop something called Russian Salmon Fund in Russia in Moscow. Now is entirely uh, Russian NGO. We it's still our partner, but but they're on their own and and they're they're the sort of uh, spearheading conservation salmon conservation movement in Russia. So um yeah you know get on uh, go on our website and see we we publicize stuff about our projects all the time and you can learn you can see i think you know people Sort of turn off the the whole uh, environmental uh, issue yep. because they feel like like we are powerless and right. that's not true. And only uh, only realizing how many people are involved and how successful they are. For example, Skina. So I'll, I'll, I'll give the Skina example since mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with this. Um, a Few years ago, international consortium Petronas, oil and gas consortium, proposed um, uh, LNG plant yep. in the, at the mouth of the Skeena on the Lilo oh, wow. Islands, right in the mouth of the Skeena. Sheesh. So I, I'm not sure if many people that fish Skeena even knew about it. No. So the, the what mm, year first was that? What year was that? That was, um, that was three years ago, I oh, would say. Oh, so recently. So. Wow. Re- very recently. And... Um, Local community, first of all, First Nations, who have a lot of power and still uh, rights to their traditional territories, just got together and put so much pre occupied the island and put so much pressure on the authorities, on the government, that the project was removed from uh, from the proposal, and and Skina is never going to uh, be uh, imperiled by by the LNG development pipeline oil by rail or tankers so there's there's many people i mentioned the Skeena wild conservation trust that on the ground not necessarily fishermen just people who care about the environment they live in after all uh you know it's not something that that um uh, that is abstract it is actually place where we all live, yeah. where we all rely and our kids will be here and their kids hopefully will be here. So, um, nobody should, should turn, uh, you know, turn off the, the, the volume and, and yeah. stop thinking about it and just go fishing, uh, be, you know, enjoying it as, as, as long as it lasts. Um, I think we can get together. And when you think about, the The power of the uh, sport fishing community. I think sport fishing is probably, by the number of sold licenses, the most popular um, outdoor activity in the United States. Oh, wow. uh, Mm, and if we all uh, just get together and, and care for the resources that we use daily, for example, the Chutes River, I fish the Chutes River, therefore, I, I am active with the Chutes River Alliance, uh, lower the Chute River Alliance, and I am a donor to, to that organization because I fish that river so often. So I think we can all do a little bit more, not, yeah. not a lot.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, the Skeena is a good example because like you said, a lot of the, I'm not sure about how the forests are. Well, I think Canada actually has quite a bit of harvesting of their forest too. So there's probably some of those things up there, but the... the commer- well, just the fishing, I know, I know steelhead aren't necessarily targeted out there, but it just seems like the, the ocean is such, you know, and again, we can get back to climate change and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's such a wild west, right? Because you got these boats out there. I mean, is that, you know, not to dig too far into this, but again, is that something on your radar thinking about how, uh, you know, steelhead are getting hit out there with nets or whatever else? Is that still a major problem, say for a Kamchatka steelhead?
0: Uh, no, uh, not really for Kamchatka Steelhead because um, Russians don't fish for salmon in open ocean. From 1964, Russian all salmon Russian uh, fisheries are terminal fisheries. Um mm-hmm. that means that they're uh nets that are placed either on the shore or at the mouth of the rivers. So they targeting particular populations and are able to actually monitor the number of fish being caught and being sure that they are not fishing in a mixed stock fishery, like we do in Alaska oh, okay. and like Canadians do in British Columbia. Yep. In British Columbia, especially in the Skeena, I think I mentioned the Skeena Wild Conservation Trust. Um, just to give you an idea how much things have changed within the last decade or so. Um, the number of uh, commercial gill netters, um, at the Skeena, at the mouth of the Skeena has been probably down from 1500s 10 years ago to 200 right now. And it's also the result of, um, the conservation efforts of NGOs and local community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there are, there are simply licensed buyouts and the government is retiring certain fisheries. So there are very positive, um, developments and tendencies. Uh, in Kamchatka, the biggest problem is probably the poaching. Uh, the just an illegal harvest in river mostly targeting fish eggs oh, uh, so geez. the fish are being just discarded and eggs are being geez. sold to um, internal or foreign markets Gotcha. Uh, but there is a progress with that as well through mostly through MSC Mar-T, Marine S- uh, Stewardship Council certifications. The Russian fisheries uh, in order to um, access European and US uh, North American general market have to uh, be MSC certified. That's for sustainability, and one yeah. of the con- and one of the conditions to be certified is uh, taking care of enforcement on the rivers. So um, I would say in Kamchatka, within the last twenty five years that we have been working there, um, the uh, the level of uh, illegal uh, fishing has been also decreasing dramatically. Gotcha.
1: Okay. Cool. Well, yeah, obviously, that's a, a major big topics we're talking about here. So, um, well, well, we'll leave that for the for the next one, baby. But uh, in, sure. the, in the next uh, six to 12 months, anything new coming up for you? The Sam Center, uh, Echo, anything you want to let us know?
0: Um. Uh, Wild salmon Center is uh, is sort of going into the scientific program uh, in Mongolia on Siberian time and conservation Mongolia as you know and most yep. of anglers know's been a destination for the last i don't know twenty years or 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 more yep. and um, um, American operators there noticed that uh, uh, there is yeah. a certain decline, right? And there is, a, there, there are many issues. There is poaching, there is overgrazing, there is habitat loss. So we will be venturing since we have a very active time and conservation program in Russian Far East. Uh, we will be joining, um, Mongolia Outfitters company, uh, with the science program. Oh, cool. With Echo, with Echo, I, I think we are, We are done for a while with uh, new spay rods. Uh, We we feel like the (laughs) full spay, full spay, compact spay, and trout spay cover the bases, and they're very good rods. Uh, We don't like to change product every two years. Yeah. Because it confuses, it uh, uh <laughs> retailers and as well as, it does. Uh, uh, as, <laughs> uh, as well as customers. So we're going to be sticking, but, uh, but we're we constantly working on the new line developments. So. Um I wouldn't want to give any commercial sure. secrets sure at this point.
1: You got a you got a quadruple density maybe in the in the <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh so so one one quick one just on the full space. So you mm-hmm. also have um what is the swing isn't there a swing series? Yes. Or, yeah, the lo- So what's the difference between the full space and the and the echo swing because I have a I have a six weight swing I believe and yeah, it's a good What What is the difference? If somebody's buying, I mean, would they? I know one's a lower price point, but are there right. any other differences to think about
0: with those two? Well, a little bit with the length. So all our full spays are 13-footers because we feel that it's a sort of right-on-the-money uh, mm-hmm. length. The swings are a little bit more traditional, not only in an action sense. They have a similar action to uh, full spay, except full spay is made out of very high-modulus material, so lighter, faster recovery. But uh, swings are incredibly good value and, and very good rods. So the 6, 7, eight, again – space from 12 and a half through 13 to uh 13 and a half so if you if you would like to have a longer rod than 13 foot i would recommend the swing eight weight 13 and a half um if you would like a little bit longer uh, a little bit shorter rod in six weight like the summer steelhead mm-hmm. rod swing has 12 and a half six weight which is oh, fantastic
1: okay so and, that, you, and yeah. you have
0: your it workhorse 13 foot seven weight in that in that too for okay. incredible price
1: so if you if you had somebody coming in for you know they were just wanted their first um intro rod for say all around steelhead fishing you could the um the echo seven weight uh 13 foot seven weight, or or the or the uh the swing
0: or the, the swing yeah yeah swing. definitely i would go with the seven weight 13 foot swing as of my first rod, and okay. from there I would find out what I like, and and then upgrade to either twelve foot rod uh, in compact spay. Gotcha. If if that's your game, um, if your river is is good for that kind of uh, outfit, or full spay, um, and then you also will know if thirteen is your um, your. Favorite rod, or you would like to upgrade a little bit higher, then you can go to, to the um, swing in thirteen and a half.
1: I gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So the full is like you said, it's a little lighter, faster. So if somebody yeah. just wanted the 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 kind of the more, you know, the the faster rod, maybe the the that the uh, the full would be the better rod to start with. Or if the, you know, if they yeah. already had some experience, and they just wanted to get. Right. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Gotcha. Okay. Good. Good. So uh, yeah, like I said, I have a link at slash uh, echo which uh, redirects over to the gorge, and uh, that's the shop that we kind of work with uh, locally. Um, so that's that's good. Um, well, I, that's all I have. We, we've kind of, uh, I mean, obviously, I think there's still a ton of stuff we could talk about, but I'll I'll let you get out of here and, and uh, respect your time here. Um, no worries. But yeah, I just appreciate you coming on and talking about. I, I really didn't know all the background as much as you know the stuff we dug in here. So it's amazing all the conservation and and steelhead and echo. So I'm definitely going to reach back out to you and circle around and, uh, and stay in touch as we, as we move forward. So uh, thanks for coming on.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Okay. It was a pleasure. All right. Thanks. Talk to you later. Thanks. Bye-bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash one, two, three. If you want to find out uh, a little more on upcoming uh, trips we have, just go to webflyswing.com slash destination and uh, you can get filled in on upcoming uh, new trips that are on the list. I just want to thank you for your support. It would be great if you could click the subscribe button so you can uh, get updated when a new episode comes out and it will also help others find the show. Uh, it has to do with the alg- algorithm i don't know exactly how but that's that's part of the part of the game thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today i'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to maybe see you on the river or online
0: thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com
1: and if you found this episode helpful please subscribe and leave a review on itunes